Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We're catching up on all the news from trade deals to the Mueller investigation. And remembering President George Herber Walker Bush. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics, everybody. On today's episode, we're catching up on the news. There's been a lot going on in the world since we were not together last week. We both had guest hosts. So we're going to talk about all the things. And then in our main segment, we'll be remembering President Bush, who passed away on Friday. And to close out the show, we'll be talking about both of our current pop culture obsessions. So stay tuned, all you bodyguard fans and Ralph Breaks the Internet viewers. Before we get started, we wanted to tell everyone about our podcast, The Nuanced Life. If you haven't checked it out, we're undergoing some format changes. We discovered about halfway through The Nuanced Life this amazing little segment. It was all best idea and it's totally brilliant where we commemorate the moments in life that usually go uncelebrated. So we ask listeners to email us in commemorations and they are everything from I trained my youngest child to puke in a bucket. That's one of my all-time favorites. And so I'm now no longer cleaning up puke, which definitely deserves to go celebrated. And from people who lost jobs, people who gave up on their startups, we're just, we want to go beyond the get married, have a baby, retire, and die. We would like to celebrate some things outside of those, the big four, as I call them. So we're moving the nuanced life to just commemoration. So if you're interested in celebrating and hearing about all the messiness of living a nuanced life, you can go check out our podcast on any of your podcast players. So today we wanted to start off with lots of trade news. The president has just concluded the G20 in Argentina. Before he went to the G20, the president and the presidents of Canada and Mexico signed a new trade agreement ostensibly to replace NAFTA, the U.S.-Mexico agreement. He is very proud of this. And so we wanted to talk about that a little bit. And then while at the G20, he had a sit down with President Xi Jinping of China to talk about the impending trade war between our two countries and says that they have a deal. I think what they have is a deal to make a deal. Uh-huh. Uh, but we'll discuss that as well. Well, the NAFTA deal is kind of interesting timing because that was 
signed by President Bush. So there's lots of this is what it was. This is what it's going to be. He's he campaigned against NAFTA. He has never liked NAFTA. And while I think there are some important changes in this trade deal, I mean, the the most interesting thing is that it's not like it's a done deal. It has to be ratified by Congress. And I think that's a pretty big lift. I think it's a big lift, too. Most people are saying that this agreement has some significant changes from NAFTA. It modernizes sections of NAFTA related to intellectual property law. There are some decent things environmentally in this trade deal. I'm going to link an article that analyzes the agreement purely from an environmental perspective. Vox has been pretty complimentary of the deal based on its treatment of labor. There are a lot more rights for Mexican workers in particular embodied in the agreement. So it seems not bad, but I do think that it's going to be a big lift in Congress. Well, this is something I've been thinking about a lot and is a good transition to the deal to make a deal that he reached with the president of China, which is I have been wondering, based on some interesting reporting coming from the New York Times, they did a big piece that we'll put in the show notes about everything we got wrong about China, how we totally underestimated the capacity for economic development, considering that they were not a democratic nation. We told ourselves that the only way to get a piece of the growing economic pie was to democratize and be a liberal democracy. And that just wasn't true. We were totally wrong about that. And I think a lot about what else are we wrong about right now with regards to the global economy, with regards to a lot of things. And, you know, before Trump was president, we spent a lot of time on this podcast. A lot of people spend a lot of time and still talk about how our institutions are outdated, how they're not ready for the 21st century and all its challenges. And I thought, man, what are we getting wrong about the chaos he brings? What are we getting wrong about the fact that you can create a lot of change from chaos and disruption? What if there are good things to come from this incredibly chaotic president who is often misinformed and dishonest and all the negative things that he brings and the disruption he brings. But then other people come to the table, and I think this could be the case with NAFTA, and say, okay, well, now that you understand that we're not on firm footing, what are we all willing to look at with fresh eyes? Like, what positive could come from that? Maybe there is positive things that could come from that. Maybe the consequences of a Donald Trump presidency are not all negative. You know, human beings are not great at predicting the future. We're not great at seeing where we're wrong. And I'm trying to really think through, particularly in our trade relationships, what we could gain from disruption. And maybe NAFTA, the new NAFTA, is a sign of that. I think that what this president understands well is that most change is not made without suffering. Mm. And so that's how he creates pressure. He creates suffering and then says, "Okay, let's make a deal to alleviate suffering. Now, I think that is a dated approach that harms a lot of people in the process and that we should evolve to do better than that. But it is still effective in some circumstances. I think it's possible that he will get this deal through Congress despite a lot of heartburn about it, because what he has said is, I'm terminating NAFTA. So you can have the new deal that I negotiated or we can have nothing. And that's fine with me, too. Mm -hmm. But those are your two options. And that is not the way that I like to work. It is not the kind of leadership that I want to support. It probably will be effective. Well, I can see how it would be effective with Mexico and Canada. I do not think it will be effective with China. Now, I think that they have pushed pause on this trade war because everybody was feeling the effects. I think that the Chinese economy was feeling the effects. But I don't see a lot of promises from China coming from this delay. Basically, they've delayed. and They're going to say that they have a 90-day deadline to reach a new deal. There is a little bit of progress because China insisted no deals would be made while the current tariffs were in place. And they at least made a deal to push pause while the tariffs stayed in place because Trump was was threatening an increase on the tariffs to 25 percent from the current 10 percent. So I don't know if it was fear that he would make good on that. But China and the United States don't have the capacity to just sort of do a little bit like, oh, I don't care. I don't I don't care what happens. I mean, he can't play that card, I think, in this sort of trade dispute. And I think you see that in the truce they've both negotiated, that we 
are inextricably linked. We need to sell a lot of our agricultural products to China. I think a really interesting side note of this, considering your conversation with Brent, is there are there's a lot of development in the Chinese auto industry that they want to get involved in the American auto industry. They want to come over and sort of be a player in the way that the Japanese were in the 80s and 90s. Another interesting tie-in to the Bush presidency, which we're going to talk about in our main segment. And so I think that that might have worked with NAFTA. This idea of do it or don't do it, I don't care, is not going to work with China. And that's what this pause and the this, this truth sort of speaks to. I think that's right. I think China is much more fascinated with and attuned to our culture than we are with theirs. Mm-hmm. And that in the long run, that's really problematic for us. Yeah. I think approaching China in the same way that you would approach a Mexico or a Canada where we have shared geography, we have a lot of shared culture. Yeah. It's a really different situation with China, and China has spent decades learning about us and studying us like animals in the wild, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we have been very dismissive of China, exactly as you said. We felt like China was missing democracy and missing all of these ingredients necessary to, to thrive in a modern economy. I do not say that with admiration for the Chinese government. I still think that democracy is a better way than what is happening in China. And I think that the way China conducts itself in the world is often abhorrent. I think what happens in in terms of the suppression of speech and information in China is terrible. I also think the reality is China is continuing to push forward quite successfully by economic metrics in spite of all of that, maybe Mm -hmm. because of all of that. And this is where you have to have a real conversation about values. But we need our leadership and the people negotiating with China to be as interested in them as they are in us. We also wanted to discuss the many, many developments with regards to the Mueller investigation. Beth, you're our resident Mueller expert. Where are you at right now? What you thinking? What you thinking? Because we the, the traditional knowledge, speaking of things we got wrong, is that there would be sort of a trickle of indictments post-election because they took a pause during the midterms, the Mueller investigation did, and we haven't really seen that. So what do you think that is indicative of? Throughout this investigation, my feeling has been there will be more to it than a strident Trump supporter believes will exist and less than a strident member of the resistance, right? That we would end up somewhere in the relatively unsatisfying middle Mm -hmm. with this investigation. I think the fact that we didn't see that trickle of indictments following the midterms compels me to believe that that we might land on there being more to this investigation than I thought there would be. Mm. Because I think that if we were going to wrap up with more kind of lying to investigators crimes, more white collar money laundering sort of crimes from players who those of us who are really invested in politics would, you know, we would recognize their names, but the general public might not. I do think that that would have wrapped up shortly after Thanksgiving. The fact that it is extended causes me to wonder if we will not see indictments of more prominent people, perhaps members of the Trump family. I still don't know that the president himself will ever face any kind of criminal charge or even charges within the House of Representatives and the Senate. I do not think Bob Mueller is a person who thrives on drama the way the president does. Mm -hmm. So I really think that if he could have wrapped this up, he would have wrapped it up. But the developments recently are that Paul Manafort has breached his plea agreement by lying to the Mueller team. Can I just stop? Can we just stop for a second? Paul Manafort. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, we need to have a conversation about choices in much the same way I have conversations with my children. Choices have consequences. Somebody needs to ha- sit down and have a conversation with him about this. Sorry, I just need to get that off my chest. I think somebody maybe needed to have that conversation with him quite a few years ago. Mm -hmm. My feeling about Paul Manafort is that if you look at the people who have paid his bills for a very long time, it could be that American prison is one of the best of his options. He is wanted for questioning in Ukraine. You know there are people in Russia who do not want what Paul Manafort knows being shared with the world. 
And I just imagine that he, at this point in his life, has made choices, meaning that he has very few good choices left Mm. in front of him. And I I do not say that with even a hint of schadenfreude or something. I hate that. Like, it makes me sick to my stomach when I really think about it. I don't care enough about him to have schadenfreude. That's how I feel about Paul Manning. I just don't care enough. I don't care enough to wish bad things on him. I, I do not wish bad things on him. I I wish for him to cooperate in this investigation to the extent that it aids in truth-finding. And other than that, I wish him the best that is available to him under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. The other development is that Michael Cohen, who was the president's, I'm just going to use the word consultant because I think everything we've learned has indicated that he he was his lawyer, but not really doing legal work. Mm-hmm. And that matters because what is shared between a person and their lawyer is usually protected by the attorney client privilege. But I don't think most of what was shared between Trump and Cohen is going to be protected by that privilege because of the nature of work that he was doing. But he has pled guilty to charges and is cooperating now with the Mueller team. And the president has not reacted well to that and has referred to him as a weak person who's trying to get his sentence reduced, who's making up terrible lies, who should go to prison forever because of the things that he's done around taxis and loans and all these other business deals. And I just don't know that that's a great strategy for the president. So it's been really interesting. I'm curious to know what Michael Cohen has to say. A lot of the activity with Michael Cohen centers around lying to Congress about a real estate project that the Trumps were pursuing while Donald Trump was running for president. I think that's really important because it's so easy as this investigation continues and the president often sort of what I, I I can only describe as pitch a hissy fit on Twitter, which to me always seems indicative of like what his lawyers are. His lawyers are giving his, him bad news. So right now we're recording on Monday and it seems apparent to me that his lawyers gave him some bad news because he got on Twitter and pitched a hissy fit. And, you know, when he's doing that and there's sort of the minutia of the indictments and this and that, it's easy to lose track to me of the overall fact that they have lied from the beginning about their relationship with Russia. So now we know, you know, in the beginning they said we had no business with Russia. Oh, no, but yes, we did. Oh, we never had any contact with them. Oh, yes, we did, but it was about adoption. Oh, well, that was a lie, but it was about gathering dirt. Oh, but we didn't know anything about WikiLeaks. Oh, but now it looks like Roger Stone did. I mean, like, it just, it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that their narrative about that campaign's interactions with Russia has been completely dishonest from the beginning. And as the Mueller investigation concludes, I think we will see the depths at which that dishonesty reaches. It is will only remain to be seen how Congress reacts to that dishonesty. I was reading an article about President Obama. He was speaking somewhere and he said, my administration was the only administration in modern history to have no indictments. And I didn't realize that. And then I started thinking back. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's right now. I don't know how far he he defines modern history. I don't know if the Carter administration had any indictments. But to think those eight years were only the exception to the rule and that since President Nixon's administration, the idea that corruption reaches the highest levels, that... You know, we've almost become immune to the idea that administrations lie. Members of the administration are indicted regularly. Members of the campaign are. I mean, it's just it's so it's so sad and disturbing that not only can we not follow the thread on the fact that they have lied about their interactions with the foreign government, but then that the next question has to be, will anybody care? Will anybody care? I think that you see that mirrored in our pop culture, too, because I feel like the new standard has become Okay, but it was it like House of Cards level bad. And this story is going to be enormously complicated. Mm -hmm. Now, some people will see it as very simple. And in a way it is right. If there was an interest in personal gain via a foreign government, 
that sets up an opportunity for a foreign government to have a type of influence over the Trump family that they might not even understand and appreciate. Mm-hmm. And so that's the high level of it. The details of that are going to be really complicated, and they're mostly going to be financial, and there's probably going to be a lot of dryness to them. And I think that if the ultimate story is not kind of a filled with like murder and intrigue the way we would we would pay to watch a movie, we're going to have a sizable portion of the country going, eh, like President Obama said, every administration has issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that these are really serious issues, despite the fact that they don't feel like the the level of depravity that we entertain ourselves with, which is a whole other topic, why we entertain ourselves that way. But I just think it's important to hold on to the fact this is where I always come out when I get too deep into the Mueller investigation. The process is working. People who know what they're doing are doing their work. They are doing that work with oversight. The president would do well to remember that everything that's been filed in the past couple of weeks has been filed under his hand-picked acting attorney general. Mm-hmm. Matthew Whitaker has not put the brakes on this thing. So the process is working. We just need to sit back and watch it work and see what happens from there. There will be a point when the Mueller report goes to Congress that it becomes much more political, but we don't need to make it so before that point. All right. We have new changes to the format of Pantsy Politics. Everything old is new again is what we're going to call this change because we're going back to compliment the other side. A few months ago, I encouraged a change to a gratitude moment because I found the compliment the other side a little exhausting some days. And I wanted it to be more positive. It sort of felt like a chore and I didn't want it to feel like a chore. I wanted it to feel like an appreciation. But it was missed. Everybody liked compliment the other side. We also talk about compliment the other side in our book coming out in February. So we're going to go back to compliment the other side. I'm going to truly try to bring a spirit of gratitude to compliment the other side. So... For all of you who are missing it, it's back. So we're going to begin compliment the other side. My compliment the other side this week is Neil Gorsuch, Supreme Court Justice. I hate to t- I hate to put Supreme Court justices in sides, but come on, let's be real. We all know that how it works. That's how it works. But I love it when I see Supreme Court justices from what we would classify as different sides teaming up. And that happened last week when Neil Gorsuch and Sotomayor came out against civil forfeiture, which for those who don't know, it's it's basically call it policing for profit. And they it's when the police can seize personal property if they feel like they're, it, the personal property is related to a crime, civil asset forfeiture. And there's like limits at the federal level, but it had not been for some reason, you know, the Eighth Amendment bars imposition of excessive fines, but they had not sort of applied it to the state level. And... <laughs> They had a case come before the Supreme Court, and I thought it was so funny because they start, it's this Indiana Solicitor General, they're having this oral argument, he's trying to make the case, like, Gorsuch comes out and is basically like, can we just establish, he says, quote, we all agree that excessive fines clause is incorporated against the states. Can we just agree on that? Can we at least agree on that? But the guy was like, oh, I don't know, maybe not. And he said, I think a yes or no would probably be a good starting point. And then the the, solicit- the Indiana Solicitor General tries to suggest that it's more complicated. And Corsage cuts him off, noting that most of the Bill of Rights was incorporated to the states, quote, in like the 1940s, end quote. And I <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. I just love that him and Sonia Mar- Sotomayor are like, listen, do we need to do this? Come on. We're going to we're going to apply everything to the states. We did it, like, quote unquote, in like the 1940s. Let's just all get on board with this. Also, civil forfeiture is bullshit. So I'm glad they're going after it. And yeah, I just I, I really I very much enjoyed this reporting on the oral arguments for this case. I think for those of us who spent three years in law school, hearing that kind of casualness from the court (laughs) is shocking and exciting to see the court changing in that way. There are lots of changes about the court that you don't feel so great about, but it is nice to hear the court sounding like a group of people. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Enjoyed it. Who live in a contemporary world. Yeah. More (laughs) of that, Gorsuch. Good job. I wanted to compliment former President Bill Clinton, which will transition us into our remembrance of George H.W. Bush. I really appreciated his Washington Post editorial about the 
very famous letter that George H.W. Bush left for Clinton as he came into office. And more than that, that post piece reminded me of the complexity of Bill Clinton, Mm. despite a, a long list of deep flaws. Bill Clinton has used his time out of office to forge relationships with other former presidents and other people in the world to do a lot of good in the world. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. So next up, we will talk about President George Herbert Walker Bush, who passed away on Friday. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We wanted to devote the main segment of our show today to talking about the life and death of President George H.W. Bush. We were just chatting about how we were both really young We were about seven years old when he was in office as president, when he was inaugurated as president. So he was one of the first political figures that we really remember. And I think we have lost a lot of his legacy throughout our lives because he was a one-term president and the world became so chaotic after that. I feel like in some ways... The story that we know about his presidency is very abbreviated given how recent it was. I love The Daily did a really nice sort of summation of his life and events. And they had a great quote that he gets lost between like the legacy of Reagan and the debate over his son's presidency. Mm -hmm. He sort of becomes a side note. He was the first president I really remember. He came to Paducah 
probably when I was um, maybe like 10, nine or 10 years old, I, I we went, I remember, the thing I re- vividly remember is the Secret Service sharpshooters on top of the community college buildings. But he came to Paducah. I remember him. I remember the election with him and Ross Perot and Bill Clinton very vividly. I remember watching the debate. And so, it, you know, it was sort of the first president and presidential campaign I, I have vivid memories of. Although I have to say that so much of my memory of that time is colored by like what you like you said, what came afterwards. Although I do vividly remember the remember when he threw up at the at the big dinner and it was such a big deal. I do have vivid memories of that when he was actually president. But I think he you know, he kind of I think the first president you remember so much shapes the idea of what a president should be. And so he is sort of my kind of default understanding of presidents, you know, like the, and I think for a lot of like awkward politically moments he had, but sort of standing on the global stage with a lot of strength. I think there's a lot of that I remember, but it's really interesting as I look back on his life, the things I correctly remembered, things I incorrectly remembered, and just how much my life and understanding since he was president and sort of where he's popped up and bubbled up and become a part of the national conversation since losing that campaign has played into to my memory of him. I think all that is so, so interesting to sort of examine. In some ways, I think I remember the Dana Carvey version of him more than him. Mm. I do remember quite vividly the pride that everyone felt around his successful operation in the Middle East. Mm. And I remember that sort of forming my understanding of what a war is. Like America goes in, you know, does what it needs to do and gets out. And so everything that's unfolded since then has been confusing because it seemed like we had the capacity and the power to go to go on a mission, successfully execute that mission, and bring everybody home as heroes. I also vividly remember the campaign with Michael Dukakis and the death penalty being such a prominent issue in that campaign. That's what's so interesting, that all that stuff about Willie Horton, as we're having these conversations about how civil he was, I keep thinking, I can recognize that, particularly the letter that has gone back around and become viral that he wrote to Bill Clinton. And I think there's so much of that in his service as a public service. But when he was campaigning, I don't think there's necessarily a lot of an indication of civility. And I think that's that's what I would like to sort of have a conversation about is the understanding of his legacy with regards to the reality of his life and choices. Because here's what I think. I think that the conversation right now is George Bush was the last of the, you know, the old school Republicans. And you can trace his loss. And I mean, they literally said this on on the Daily. You can trace his loss in a straight line to Donald Trump and this new sort of Republican Party. And I want to push back on that ever so slightly, because I think that George Bush is not an indication of anything more or less than the internal struggle of moderates. Okay, because it's not like the party of Barry Goldwater in the 60s and 70s was just a picture of moderation. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't necessarily buy this idea that the Republican Party was always sort of a more moderate, small government Republican Party. I think you always had a base that was pushing up, up against that in different parts in history. And particularly when you look at his life, I was I thought it was really interesting to hear about his House and Senate races in Texas. In the House race, he went right during his campaign and campaigned against the Civil Rights Act. He he regretted that later in life and talked about it. In his Senate campaign, the one that he lost, he got a more conservative Democratic opponent than he anticipated. He lost because he couldn't go right enough. And I thought, you know, and then you have the, when he ran against Reagan and he said he didn't like any of, you know, he was for abortion rights. He was against voodoo economics. And then he came out and said, oh, I didn't say that. And like in his campaigns, I think you see not necessarily you do see there are indications of a change from Republican Party. I don't debate that. I think what you see is this man who struggled with with being a moderate. And how do you campaign as a moderate? And I don't think that that is something that he figured out. I'm not sure that's something anybody's figured out is how do you stand up and how do you get a base to support you when you're when your argument is I'm just going to go in there and, and examine the facts and try to do what's right. 
and not be driven by ideology. I think that's really hard. I think what's really fascinating with regards to the Willie Horton is you see two moderates coming up against each other. You see Dukakis and Bush, these two guys that are like, we just want to do what's right. We're not, we're not going to be driven by this party ideology. But I think that, you know, then Bush made the campaign choices and made choices in his policy, too, to feed a base, to try to maintain his power. Not because I think that he was some power-hungry, awful person. I don't really like a lot of some of the sort of reporting that wants to twist some of his choices. I think this is just the struggle of somebody who wants to do the right things, got in public service for mostly the right reasons. He's not a perfect person. I don't think he would claim that, and I don't think there's any need to argue that. But I think it's just when I when I look back at his life and all these choices he made while campaigning, the choices he made while president, the way he talked about being president, particularly the choices he made with regards to the closeout of the of the Cold War and Panama and all these things was just like I said, like the internal struggle of a moderate on a national political stage. If you think about every modern president, we are not going to have someone seek that office who has no ego who would be comfortable with losing, you don't, you just don't run for president. Even in local levels, you have to have some kind of hubris to put yourself out there as a leader. And that's okay. That's not necessarily bad. We've made it bad, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime you see behavior that reinforces that, we decide that's terrible and we can't trust people because of it. But it's not inherently bad. It is necessary. I am reminded so much of Mitt Romney in reading about George H.W. Bush, because I think here's another person of tremendous means who has a genuine desire to serve his country, who has a code of ethics for himself and his family that we might not all agree with, but that I hope we can recognize is sincere, who is passionate about his family and loving in his relationships and kind-hearted and also is capable of policies that many people in the country don't feel good about and who has tried desperately to shift himself enough to get elected so that he can carry out this public service Mm -hmm. at times in the most awkward and naked politically ways and I, I just feel like we have to find some grace for that. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't need to decide that these people are sinners or saints. Yep. These are people who wanted to serve their country, and I'm thankful that they did. And I think they got a lot right and a lot wrong in the process. And it just, it, it really, I think Mitt Romney is such a good encapsulation of the George H.W. Bush struggle and he's doing it in an even more amped up environment. In a lot of ways, George H.W. Bush is a bridge president. He's the the bridge between Cold War era and post-Cold War, War era. He's the bridge between what the Republican Party was pre-Reagan and post-Reagan. And there is going to be a lot of complexity around that and, and things that he just got wrong. You know, the, the the way the handling of the AIDS crisis is something that he just got wrong. We're going to look back eventually on President Obama and I think believe that his use of drones is something that he just got wrong mm-hmm. because we understand things differently as time passes. People have to be allowed to evolve. I'm really troubled by the need to define someone's legacy as either an A or an F mm-hmm. that we're doing around George H.W. Bush, because it's neither of those things. Yeah. And I really, really dislike the conversation that defines everyone who dies in contrast to Donald Trump. But give me a moment to do that. I think that you're right. And I think that so much of Donald Trump is a reaction to those naked, politically awkward moments. You know, what I never doubt about Mitt Romney or George Bush or John McCain or any of the conservatives who I have a lot of policy problems with, who I think acted in particularly problematic ways with regards to economic policy because of their limited views and life experiences and even problematic ethics around economics. All that aside, I do not believe that they approached public service or the decisions they make while in public service in such a nakedly 
transactional way as Donald Trump. And I don't know if we really want to exchange authenticity and it seems so weird to use the word authenticity with regards to Donald Trump because he lies all the time. But he is he does bring that level of sort of naked revelation with regards to the purely transactional motivations he brings to so many things. You're winning or you're losing. Our country's winning or losing. We're making money through the military or we're not. I mean, that's it's something that comes becomes so apparent as you read fear in particular that that this is his outlook on the world. And like I said, despite my many, many, many problems with the economic policies of the sort of George H.W. Bush, John McCain, Mitt Romney's, George W. Bush's of the world, I do not believe that they approached it in a transactional, I'm making money and winning out of this or forget it. And, you know, I'll take that. I'll take the awkward, oh, I didn't say voodoo almanacs, I did, or the, the, you know, the many, many problematic ways these men try to shift their own narratives to win campaigns. I, I will. I'll just take that. I prefer that. If our only other option, which I actually don't believe it, this is our only other option, but if our only other option is this sort of brutally transactional approach to politics and campaigning, like I just, I don't want that. If this is the way we overcorrect, then I don't think it was a correction at all. Worth noting, especially as we talk about the privilege and elitism of the Bush family, that George H.W. Bush served his country. Mm -hmm. And for someone of the enormous advantage in life that he had to decide to put his life on the line and serve his country, that indicates, that does indicate to me, a, a selflessness and a belief in something larger than oneself that is so obviously missing mm -hmm. in many of our modern political figures, the president probably at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. And I think it mattered a lot that he had served in the military. I think it mattered a lot in his presidency that he had served as CIA director. Mm -hmm. I think his experience for his office is why his foreign policy record as a president, if not perfect, and it wasn't, and we need to have a long conversation about our history in the Middle East and our motivations there. But he understood what a mission was and how to accomplish it and how to bring people home. He understood the risk on the line when we engage in a mission. You know, he had a different appreciation for our standing in the world, I think, because of those experiences that he brought to the White House. Well, and I think that it's not fair to discount the choices he made to build his own fortune. Now, did he benefit mm -hmm. from his family resources and connections? And did he get lucky? Of sure, of course he did. But both things can be true. Both things can be true that he made his own money and that he had access to resources and privileges that other people don't. I mean, he still didn't have to go to Texas and try to do it on his own, even with his own, you know, accesses, ac the access and resources provided to him. And I just think that's the thing, right? We we don't allow, even though we all know this to be true in our own messy human lives, for the complexity of the person to come through. And I think that he's such a fascinating study in this. The irony that he was the first sitting vice president to win re-election and the first in a long time to be a sitting president to only have one term. You know, to, to see the way, I think maybe more than anything, that he his presidency in particular is reflection is a reflection of the pace at which things were changing that you could go from being a president who had 89% approval rating to only win 38% of the vote like it's just it's such a fascinating sort of study in american history and the in the in the path and the pace at which things were changing and i do think he is both a reflection of great ways to deal with that change i think that his like you said, his steady leadership in the in the face of many, many foreign policy changes and many, many sort of shifting global realities is is a great example. And at the same time, that you can't be all things to all people and a president only has so much time, energy and focus that his focus on global realities came at the cost of him neglecting domestic realities. That were then exploited by, you know, Bill Clinton and the I feel your pain. And then we went ahead and acted like George W. Bush invented the president I want to have a beer with. You know, it's just so 
all these narratives, I think, are so intertwined and interesting and really a reflection of us. And that's what we that's what you can see when people want to paint a picture about the legacy of George Bush. You don't get to talk about George Bush. You don't get to talk about a president ever without also talking about our country and ourselves. And I think that's what we all need to be very cognizant of as we remember this very human man who rose to a level of power and the way we reacted to that as a country and as a nation. I mean, that's we're talking about ourselves, too, when we talk about him. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think in interesting corollary to this conversation is what's happening right now in France. Because in President Macron, you have a leader who is focused on the global picture explicitly. Mm. And so there are very serious economic protests going on in his own country right now. We had a conversation this morning on IGTV about how we always get emails after our podcast saying, why didn't you talk about this and this and this? Because every conversation can't be comprehensive. And that's certainly true of a presidency. Just as George W. Bush wanted to be a domestic president and was forced to be a foreign policy president, mm -hmm. you know, George H.W. Bush was a foreign policy president. And so Bill Clinton had, in some ways, the luxury of being able to come in and talk about domestic priorities. Right. And Barack Obama, I am certain, got to maybe one 
one hundredth of what he wanted to work on as president because of what the world necessitates around us. And as the American people, we don't have a lot of patience Mm -hmm. for leaders who don't go down the checklist of what they campaigned on, who actually are responsive to the world. And I think that's why President Trump is so problematic. He is trying to go down his checklist. He wants the wall no matter what's happening. He wants trade deals to change no matter what else is happening in the world. And I think that's really frightening and gets to exactly what you were saying, Sarah, that when we talk about our presidents, we are talking about what our culture values and doesn't value. And I think that that gets to the last piece of this conversation, which is we have some folks who want to make George H.W. Bush perfection and saint-like in death. We have a whole lot of other people who won't even hear just a benign rest in peace about him Mm -hmm. without going through all of his failures. And I think that hurts us, too. I think it hurts us when we can't show any kind of grace or space for reflection in a person's death. I think it hurts us in getting more people to run for office, especially more people who are temperate and moderate, who, Mm -hmm. who, who hear this kind of discussion And it's not even you can't please everybody. It's you can't please anyone at any time. And not pleasing them can't even be kind of a quiet disapproval, but an all-out assault on a person, even in the moment of their death. Death should be the most connecting experience we have as human beings. And I think that when we use the death of any former president to start yelling at each other about all of our old fights, we are really damaging ourselves. We hope everybody finds a moment to reflect on the life and legacy of George Herbert Walker Bush in a way that is grace-filled, and we hope that we found a moment here to do that among ourselves. Sarah, what's on your mind outside of politics? Okay, well, I stayed up till 1230, binge-watching Bodyguard. I thought it would be a fun show for me and Nicholas to watch together, and so we watched the first episode, and I was like, this is really good. And then we watched the second episode, and then I think we watched a third episode together one night and he was like, okay, I want to go to bed. But there was a major plot development. I was like, I'm going to just watch the next one to make sure this worked out okay. And minor, it's not really a spoiler, but just let me say, it did not work out okay. And so then I was like all in. So I finished the whole thing. I stayed up till 1230. I haven't seen 1230 in a long time. I do not regret a thing. It is an excellent show. It is very intense. It features Rob Stark from Game of Thrones looking super hot with his Irish accent, which I'm fully invested in. He doesn't even have a beard, and I think he's hot. We all know how essential I usually find a beard to attractiveness. But so good. It's just good, and there's a lot of things, and I can't really talk about it without spoiling the plot, but highly, highly recommend Bodyguard streaming now on Netflix. Okay, so if you don't know anything about Bodyguard, tell us genre. Like, what's the what am I showing up for? He's like protecting. He's like the Secret Service for the Homeland Security cabinet member, except that they call it the Home Secretary. Okay, then you get all this intrigue because there are all these increasing terrorist attacks, and you have some infighting between their like CIA and their FBI, and it's just there's so many things I cannot talk about, but it is so good. Y'all got to watch it. That sounds awesome. I think I could be in for that. Could I be in for that? Like, talk to me about how violent, graphic, how many things are going to upset me about it. Um, Okay, there's some explosions. There is one pretty graphic shootout scene. But, I mean, it's about terrorism, so people die. I'm just saying. There's some people that die. But it's appropriate and not gratuitous. No, it's totally appropriate and not gratuitous, but it's very intense. <laughs> the first month after the first episode, I was like, oh, I feel very stressed right now, but like in a good way, like in an exciting way. I mean, I dug it. But as we saw from Widows, we are not always closely aligned on our viewing preferences. So you really like that one with Kiefer Sutherland, didn't you? Designated Survivor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think you would like this then. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I think we are aligned in our view about Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is what I wanted to talk about today, because I was not a huge fan of Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph Breaks the Internet, I think, is a genius movie. I think that the visual depiction of the Internet was mind-blowingly good. Mm -hmm. To have someone just kind of 
lay out graphically what the internet is, I kind of feel like some members of Congress should watch this so that they better understand what we're dealing with in the internet because it's really smart the way that they depict the internet. I love the characters. I think it is such an emotionally sophisticated message about friendship Mm -hmm. and a much needed emotionally sophisticated message about friendship. It's like the first buddy movie where you can really start to teach kids, hey, being buddies doesn't mean you're joined at the hip all the time. And it doesn't even mean that you value some of the same things in your life. Like it It is a terrific movie. And just tying it back to the conversation I had with Elise on The Nuanced Life, it's the first time I've been able to like princesses. The princess segment is so well done. I need an entire movie of the Disney princess section. Can we just do a whole movie where they're hanging out and problem solving in their yoga pant outfits and their leisure wear? I just want I want that whole entire I would watch like a solid two hours of that. I just want to be clear with all the Easter eggs about their different stories. I love that Pocahontas clearly had a wind machine in the room. I just loved it all. I want to watch that all the time. I've never in my life wanted more princess. And I Mm. thought I could watch that movie now that I've seen this because it's so reflective. It's almost like Disney took a big breath and said, "Okay." This has all been pretty silly, you know, so let's get real about it. I think Sarah Silverman did an outstanding job. I love this character, Vanellope. I just, this is the first time that I have been like, well, no, that's not true. Moana. This is the second time that I have thought Disney has really knocked it out of the park. I love all the sort of bittersweet. Let's talk about some hard things. Like I loved Inside Out. I think Inside Out is brilliant. I love all the Toy Story movies. Um, cause I count, it's Disney Pixar, man. There, it's, it counts. Um, Moana, like they're doing some, they're doing some really good work over there. We see you. Mm-hmm. The light in us recognizes the light in you, Disney, and the good work you're doing. I know you're making a lot of money off of it. It's fine. Cause I have, I don't have a problem with you making money off the delightful emotional messages you're sending in these new films. I loved it. Obviously, I identified more with Wreck-It Ralph in this movie because I was like, no, we all must stay together and stay the same. And everyone that I love must stay next to me and love all the same things I love at all times in perpetuity. So it was a very good message for Sarah to be reminded that, no, things change. Friendships change. People change. Our buddies, our best friends, maybe even our children, grow up and want different things from life than we do. It was so good, though. I loved it. It was Felix's first movie. We thought that would be fun because uh, Fix It Felix, although he's not in it as much. That was also my favorite part when they do the really funny, like, oh, and here's a secret to parenting. <gasps> and then, like, the cars were fun. You can't hear it. Oh, so clever. Loved it. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I loved that. I really liked the part about the portrayal of the Internet that I really liked was how the little sort of, like, the yous are on the Internet, how you're sort of, you look like you. But you're not you and you're sort of disconnected and you're sort of robotic. I thought it was such this brilliant like you're kind of showing up as yourself, but not really everybody like you're not you're it's still sort of an avatar of a real human being. I just thought that that in particular, that little interplay was so brilliant. I loved the this discussion of viralness and the likes and the dark parts of the Internet and the spam pop ups, just all of it. So, so, so good. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. You can see how it's a movie that you could watch a hundred times and find something new to focus on every single time, which I appreciate as a parent who will have to watch it hundreds of Mm -hmm, times. mm -hmm. Thank you, Disney, for creating some things for me to think about. That's how I feel about Moana, too. So nice work on Ralph Breaks the Internet. Highly recommend. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be in your ears tomorrow and The Nuanced Life with our new format. We will be back in your ears here in Pantsuit Politics on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. 
which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 